that Luis wasn't up here singing today. She had to go to the hospital yesterday. And, but she's back home, so be praying for her. Um, she's going to see the doctor Tuesday or something like that. Yeah, so be praying for her. Also be praying for Susie. Um, her surgery, went through a sh- surgery this past um, summer, but she's not doing good. Like, it's not doing what it's supposed to. So be praying for her as well, all right? Um, but, so I always try to share things from my past so you guys can feel better about yourselves, right? Um, and so growing up, my my parents, we were, we were I would say, uh, low middle class, like economic-wise, right? But it always felt like we didn't have money to buy things, you know? So like... Um, we, I, I remember having a black and white TV. Like, I grew up in the 90s. Okay, so to put that in perspective, like, when the black and whites were put... Yeah, I, yeah, we should have had one. Eventually, we did. Um, yeah, so, um, like, so I remember things like that. Um, we never had um, expensive shoes, like, the first time I ever had an expensive pair of shoes, they were Vans. I had to buy them myself when I was, I think I was 14 years old. Like the rest of the time, we'd go down to Walmart or Kmart and we'd get that. That's what we would get. Never had designer pants, never had designer shirts, none of that, you know. And so, and I always thought, man, why don't, why don't we have money? My parents work a lot because my parents had usually had two jobs each. So my dad was full-time construction, so he'd work 40 hours, and when he had overtime, he'd always do overtime. But then he would do side jobs all the time. He had his own business, his own drywall business called Jeremiah Construction. Um, and so he would do that. So it's like, okay, he's making really good money. My mom eventually owned her own business, and in that business, she had two businesses. One was bookkeeping, and one was, um, uh, what's it called? It's real estate uh, management right? And so I always thought, okay, if we have all this jobs, right, why aren't we having more money? Yeah, where's the money? And so I always, I, I had this, this like fantasy that my parents were actual mar- millionaires and they just were holding back that money long enough to teach me a good lesson, right? And I thought whenever I learn that lesson, they're going to show up and say, we were just kidding the whole time. Let's go away from all this and we'll go to our mansion up in Beverly Hills, you know, type of thing. And, it, like, this is, and I'm thinking, what lesson do I need to learn so they can reveal the secret to me, right? And I, I haven't learned the lesson yet because obviously they're not millionaires. So, um, but I always thought, man, why not, right? Well, come to find out, the reason why is because my parents had started the business and they got conned by their bookkeeper. And they had lost tens of thousands of dollars. And they lost everything. They lost their house. They lost the business. Everything. And the reason why they had to work so much and we didn't have any money is because they had to pay all that back. And in fact, it wasn't until I was, I think, a sophomore in college that they finally paid off their last payment. And so it was just, so all their money went into that. And of course, after I left, that's when they had the money to go do stuff. You know, and so, yeah. And so they, they started going into Hawaii and they started doing all these trips. I'm like, that's very nice. 
They, they do have the million. They are millionaires. They still don't give it to me, though. So, um, but it's this idea of, you know, we have these ideas as kids, and we want our circumstances to be better if we can see it. Especially, I always saw my friends who, didn't, who were, it seemed poorer than me, but had better stuff. You know, and I always wanted that. And so the circumstances, our circumstances could really drive us to do different things, right? We want them to be better. We want, you know, what ifs, I don't have, so that type of stuff goes, goes through our minds. So it's, today, that's actually what we're going to talk about, our circumstances, all right? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. We're going to do all of Judges 13. Um, because we're starting to get into Samson, the final judge in the book of Judges, and we're going to cover his life in three weeks. Okay, it's a big long area, and um, what's funny is we're going to cover a chapter, we're going to cover like two chapters, and then we're going to cover like ten verses, because there's a lot that needs to happen. And next week's going to be a long sermon. Just so bring in an extra seat. Okay, so all right, yeah, bring in snacks. Bring in something. Don't know. Don't drink a lot. Okay, we'll make it through the whole thing. But as we're getting into this, let's talk about because we're at the end of a section, right? Last week we said we we're at the end of one section. We're moving into another section, the final judge. Um, and so we've been covering these three, um, these three themes. And the three th- three themes are God is faithful despite unfaithful humans, right? I try to say this differently every week, so, you, you know, it um, sinks in. All right, so God is faithful despite unfaithful humans. You're going to see in Samson's life a lot of unfaithfulness, okay? We're going to see this theme again and again, as we've seen throughout the entire book of Judges. Next, he calls us, God calls us to obedient living. The reason why is because we were created to be obedient to God. When we're obedient to Him, that's when we start seeing things actually work out good what's interesting is if you look at the history of israel like post jesus okay so after jesus comes even as these people are dispersed and they're going they are still following the commands of god and they're still becoming wealthy they're still becoming um prominent they're still education explodes it's funny because the the jews that followed the the commands, when the bubonic plague came around, they were one of the only people groups that really wasn't affected by it because they were a very clean people. Why? Because of the Mosaic law. And so being obedient to God's law will create better circumstances. Now, they're not going to be perfect circumstances. In fact, Paul was obedient to um, God's law and he was killed. I mean, so it's not always the best. But what it is, is in the midst of all that, it's going to be peace. There's going to be joy in the midst of all that. So we're called to be live obedient lives because disobedience leads to every problem. Like every single problem, if you've ever had a problem with your parents, it was because of disobedience. Like more than likely. Like there, there's maybe in your life, maybe in their life, but there was disobedience on some level against God, Right? So it's the same thing if you're at work and you dis- your, your boss is like, hey, I need you to do this. And you say, no, that's disobedience. That means you're fired. That means you don't eat, right? It's something that we, you learn pretty quickly when you go and your credit card's declined or your bank card's declined and you have no money in your wallet. And you go, you know what? At the next job, I'm going to listen. 
Because disobedience leads to all sorts of problems. And we can see that today. The further we get away from God, the worse our society is going to be. It's interesting, I was talking to someone this week, and um, I was talking to Bert. Um, and I brought up the fact that there's these people online who were um, furthest from God. One was an atheist, one was a New Ager. And both of them started seeing the destruction that was happening in society, which is caused by disobedience against God. And because of that, they're pursuing Christ. They actually made videos and said, one said, I am a Christian, like the New Ager. He said, I am a Christian now. I just want everyone to know that. The other one said, I'm starting to pursue Jesus. And so I want to know more about him. So this disobedience is even waking people up that have no, no idea about God. And so it's a huge thing that disobedience, and we see that in Judges, that this disobedience just leads to horrible things. In fact, today we'll see that it leads to the longest um, conquered part of the Judges. Where before it was like 8 years, 10 years, 18 years. Today you're going to see it's 40 years. It's, a, it's the longest because you'll see that they completely have rejected God, the covenant God. Okay, So that's what we've been talking about. And as we move into this new section of Judges, we have to have those in there because you're going to see all of that play out in Samson's life. And the way that the Bible approaches these different judges and these different rulers and things like that is what we see in that leader is what's happening for everyone. Like, they're just the epitome of what's going on. And so it's easier to follow one person's story than everyone's story. And so they're put up there to see, this is what's going on in this person's life. Imagine what's happening in everyone else's. Okay? So we're in Judges chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter. And the reason why we do this is because we need to hear the Word. Okay? You need to hear it not broken up. Now, we break it up because manageable chunks but you need to hear the whole thing and when it's a narrative story like this you need to hear it right okay so here we go judges chapter 13 starting verse 1 and the people of israel again did what was evil in the sight of the lord so the lord gave them into the hands of the philistines for 40 years there was a certain man of zorah of the tribe of the danites whose name was manoah sorry manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of the Lord, uh, angel of God, came again to the woman, and she sat as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, "Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me." 
And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I commanded, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up to heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah said, knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such, these, such as these things. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him at Manath Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. All right? So the reason why we need to see this is because you need to see what's going on. And so what we've been following the map up there. And on the map, we've gone kind of around and we're back to where we started. All right. So we started with Othniel in the south there at the very bottom. And we moved all around here. We've moved up to Ehud and Deborah and Gideon and Shemgar and Jair and Jephthah, all this. And then we're back to Samson. Okay. And Samson doesn't have a P in it, all right? So P is silent and not there. Um, and so Samson is up there. Samson uh, is right down there. And we're kind of returning back to this spot. But what's interesting here is it starts out with just like every other one. Israel did evil. And this is the recurring theme, right? Before every judge, it's always Israel did evil. Except this is the last time, and if we were the reader and we're reading through this, we might not recognize this, but it's the last time that this phrase will ever be used in the book of Judges. We're not going to see this anymore, that Israel did evil. The reason is, is because they're stuck there. It's interesting here, it says the Israel did evil, and then God handed them over to the Philistines, right? So what we see again is, God, or the, Israel did evil, so God says, okay, go your own way. And they get conquered by the Philistines. In this case, it's a brand new people group. We've never heard of the Philistines at this point. They're a brand new people group. They're not part of the Canaanites that we've been seeing and all those, the Ammonites or Amorites and all those people. It's a completely different people group that you'll see if you continue reading is always going to be there. But what's interesting here is Israel never calls on God. Never does it. The cycle that we have been seeing up to this point is this. Israel does evil. God hands them over to their conquerors. 
the people are in the time period, whether they be eight years, ten years, eighteen years, whatever it is, they cry out to the Lord, the Lord raises up a judge. What we just saw is not, is just the beginning and the end of that. We see them do evil. God gives them over. And then they're stuck 40 years under the, the thumb of the Philistines. And not once did they cry out to God. This is really telling about what's going on. What that tells us is Israel has gotten to a point where they're no longer turning to God. They're stuck there. And in fact, later on, a new phrase is going to be used. So the phrase that we've been seeing is, and Israel did evil, right? The new phrase is, that we'll see later on after we get past Samson, is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's where they're at. They're at this place where it's all about them. It's all about the evil. And so they're not turning to God. But you know what's interesting? It says 40 years. This is really important within biblical numbering. 40 years is a time period that's like, okay, now your punishment's over. It parallels the 40 years of wandering. And so here God says, you know what? Even though you're not crying out to me, I'm still going to move. Why? Because God's faithful even when humanity isn't. Right? And so that's what we're in. We're in this new cycle, right? With this new people group, with this extended bondage time, and the thing is, is why don't they turn to God? Well, it's because evil. They're so engrossed into what they're doing that they no longer turn to the covenant God. And so, what we see with this is that God brings the saving act. He doesn't do it based on Israel. This is really telling about who God is because God is faithful, right? Right? This shows us this first theme right in our face. That it has God's faithfulness, God's saving work has nothing to do with humanity. It's based on who God is. God is faithful when humanity isn't. God saves even if humanity doesn't want it. And so we actually see him start doing the saving work. He goes to this couple and he's going to start with this kid. And it starts, and we're going to talk about all that in a minute, but it's God who acts first. In fact, this is why in Romans, we've been saying this verse again and again in this series, Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 is huge because what Paul picks up in Romans 5.8 is that it, saving, salvation, isn't based on our action. It's not based on how good we are. It's none of that. It's based on who God is. And so in Romans 5 eight, Paul says this. He says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So did you cry out to God for him to save you? No. One thing, you weren't even a born. Right? God had already moved through Jesus way before you could even say, God save me. That grace was already there. That, uh, that gift was already there 
before you even can say, I want that. God already moved. And that's what we see with judges. That God says, okay, I'm going to move even though you're not going to cry out to me. It's a huge moment because up to this, you can get into this idea that, oh, well, I just, I need to cry out before God even moves. And what we're seeing here is God moves even before we cry out. It's a huge moment that we can't just gloss over. All right? God is faithful even when humanity isn't. Are we good? Okay, now let's talk about Samson. All right, let's talk about his story. Because his story is unique. No other judge has a birth narrative. Okay? And when we talk about birth narrative, we're talking about what led to them being born. Right? So who has birth narratives in the Bible? Jesus has a birth narrative. It's important. Right? Isaac has a birth narrative. Right? John has a birth narrative. Right? Moses has a birth narrative. The reason why it's important that they have birth narratives is because God is acting before. Every other judge up to this point doesn't have a birth narrative. The closest one is Jephthah, and we just learn where he's from, right? So Jephthah was born of a prostitute. That was really important to his story. But it was just kind of said, but it informed the rest of his story. With Samson, he falls in line with the other birth narratives. Whereas every other judge we see starts out when he's a young, young guy, right? He's probably between 25 and 35, somewhere in there in his age range. Samson, we find out that his story happens before he's even born. And it puts him into this, this class, if you want to call it, of unique individuals, because not only do we get a birth narrative, it's a very specific birth narrative. His mother was barren. That puts him in the, in the category of like Abraham and Sarah. Or Jacob and... I want to say Rachel. Yeah, Jacob and Rachel. Okay, so it puts these, him into this category that is very unique. What it's trying to tell us is this is all on God, right? If he was just born, he's just born. But this is specifically God moving. And he's just not moving in a general sense of, okay, so I'm going to use this guy over here and he's going to become a judge. Instead, this is him coming to the barren woman and saying, look, you will have a son. So already we start seeing, okay, he's up into this echelon of barren women. Like Sarah, who is the mother of Israel. Right? Rachel, who is the mother of, um, what's his name? Joseph, who was a savior of Israel. Right? So it's very specific in what echelon of people group we have here. So if you're reading this and you know the history of Israel, it's this idea of, Man, this guy is going to be great. Right? He's supposed to be a great guy. Why? Because Isaac was the promised child. Joseph was the prince of Egypt. Right? Like these are huge and really important guys in biblical um, history. So we start off, and if we don't know anything about Samson, as we're reading this, we should go, this guy's going to be great. 
And not only that, but the angel of the Lord says, look, on top of that, we're going to put some stipulations here. Mom, you are not to have any wine, not even a grape. Okay, you're supposed to eat good food, right? The, not the unclean stuff, the clean stuff. So all everything good. That's what you're supposed to have. And then on top of that, your son, you need to treat him as a Nazarite. And that vow comes from Numbers, um, I believe it's 16. And you go back there and it has all this list. Don't cut the hair. Don't eat from the vine. Don't have all these. And there's, there's just a little difference in what the angel tells the mom. There's just a little slight difference from the, a Nazarite vow to the Nazarite vow that Samson's under. And so he goes out, you know, and the angel's telling him all this stuff. And the whole thing sets up Samson to be the best judge. But, you know, what's interesting is you have a parallel with another judge that's not in the book of Judges. Because one of the things that we miss if we're just reading through and we just go, okay, then there's Samson's the last judge. Technically, he's not the last judge. There's another judge. But he plays more of a prophetic role, and that's Samuel. And so if you look at Samuel, like if you were going to read through and you're just reading, you'll have Ruth in there, which we might cover. And then, but if you just read from Judges into the book of Samuel, you would see that it's just, it flows. And so you have another narrative, another birth narrative, that's almost identical to Samson's. There are some differences, and we'll talk about that. But in, did you already cover that? Got that? Okay, good. So in 1 Samuel, I want to take a look at that. Just real quick, we're actually going to start in verse 10. I just want to look at this real quick, because listen to his birth narrative. Let's start off with this, that it starts with, you have Hannah and her husband, and there's another wife involved. Okay, so the husband has two wives. And Hannah, um, uh, their family goes up to Shiloh. And at this point, Shiloh is where they would go to worship God. And so every year, the family goes up to Shiloh. Well, the other wife has kids. She bears sons and, and children for the husband. But the husband really loves Hannah. Hannah is the one he loves. If Put them together. Hannah, he loves Hannah. This is really a Jacob-Rachel thing. It parallels Jacob and Rachel's relationship. And so Hannah doesn't have kids. And every single year, she's reminded by the other wife, you don't have any kids. And in this society, if you don't have kids, you're worthless. And so she's just demeaned by this other wife. Basically, like you're worthless type of stuff. Even though her wife or her husband just lavishes her with love and gifts and things like that, she still has this on her. And when we pick up her story in verse ten, she's gone to the tabernacle, where the the tent of God, and this is what we get her story. Verse 10, it says, She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give to the Lord, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel will grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to the house of Ramah, at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him him from the Lord. And so you have, again, the story of a barren woman and you have again god moving god gives samuel and so like samson you have a barren woman who god moved to give samson samuel barren woman is given a son and so you have these two things these two stories that start paralleling each other and there's a vow that's made right nazarite for samson and a a kind of a Nazarite vow for Samuel. She says, and his hair won't be cut. That's an allusion to the Nazarite vow where you're not supposed to cut your hair. So both have it, and these are the parallels. We'll just throw these parallels up there. All right? Born to barren women, both of them, right? So both parallel, okay? The next one is they're born by God's intervention, Right? So both are born from God's intervention. It has nothing to do with... It's not miraculous in the sense of Jesus' birth, but it's, it has nothing that just won't show up, right? God moves to open up the barrenness, all right? The next one is both are set apart before birth. Hannah says of Samuel, I'll give them to you, God, right? The angel of the Lord says to the wife, he'll be a Nazarite from birth. And so both of them are set apart at the beginning, right? And both are under the semi-Nazarite vow. Because there are little differences with the, a pure Nazarite vow, but they're basically both under a Nazarite vow. And so you see them and go, okay, these guys are basically the same, right? Basically the same. There are differences. Here are the differences. Um, let's throw those up there. Um, one, the fathers are on the same spiritual level. Hannah's husband, every year he's very faithful going to the tabernacle, worshiping God. This is something he does very faithfully. Manoah, not, I mean, he is faithful and he does want to know what God has, but when it comes down to where he realized that he was talking to God, he thinks God's going to kill us. So there's a misunderstanding there, a misfiring of who, the, who God is to him. Right? And 
his wife has to be like, calm him down. Look, we're not going to die. That wouldn't be the point, right? And so there's a, the spiritual level is kind of different here. So there is that. Um, another difference is that only one of the moms seeks God's intervention. Yeah, Hannah seeks it. We don't know, so we can't like say this is exactly. We don't know if the mother of Samson does. We don't actually even know her name. We don't know if she had sought the Lord. I'm sure she had. But we could see it in Hannah that she goes before the Lord and she, she says, I'm pouring out my soul to the point where she looks drunk in Eli, the, the um, priest's eyes. He's seeing her and going, man, this, this lady needs to get some help. You know? And so, but she's just pouring out her soul, and we don't see that with Samson's mom. Another difference is this. It's the vow. One, God says, Samson will be this. And the other one, the mom says, I will make sure that he is it. And so there you have, where does the vow come from? One put on Samson. One is placed on Samuel too, but... One comes from God, and the other one comes from the human saying, I want to make sure this happens. So you have this, um, this Nazarite vow put on. And so these are the, the differences and the similarities. But what's interesting about this is I'm going to spoil both of their stories for you. Okay? Samson doesn't turn out that good. All right? He goes after women he shouldn't. He says stuff he, does, he shouldn't. He acts in anger. And we're going to see all this next week. He's not faithful the way a judge should be. And that's why he's put up as the last judge, as the wickedest of the judges. And the reason why is because his circumstances, to start all this, were perfect. Right? He had mom and dad. He had God saying, I'm going to move here. God sets these boundaries and says, okay, within this, grow him up, right? And so you have, and you would think reading through Samson's birth narrative, if you're a Hebrew reading this, you would go, this guy's going to be great. And he doesn't. You read the rest of it and you go, man, this guy's a, a punk. He's a heel. He's a whatever you want to call him. He's not good. And then you go to Samuel's story. And Samuel is held up as really good. Like this is what a good judge is supposed to be. He's the one that goes and um, corrects the when their king comes, Saul. He corrects the king. When God sends him to find a new king, David... He's the one that goes and anoints him. And through Samuel's life, which is a lot, we learn a lot more about him, Samuel does the things that God has called him to. Is he perfect? No. No, no one in the Scriptures except for Jesus is perfect. Okay, But he is faithful to God through his life. And what these, these stories, these parallel stories tell us, look, your... Your circumstance has very little to do with being faithful to God. You know, as kids, we could go, the what ifs. Man, if only, right? 
I had this, then I would be better here. Or if only this, then this. If only this, then that. What this shows us is even the person with the best circumstances that God puts in place, just because of all that doesn't mean he's going to follow God rightly. Now, at the end of Samson's life, spoiler, he does good. One final act, he does really good. But the rest of his life is kind of like this, this just garbage fire of stumbling into God's work, basically. But when we look at our circumstances, we go, well, if this doesn't change, then I can't follow God. Or um, it's because of that that I struggle here. That all might be true. But here's the thing. Being faithful to God has nothing to do with circumstance. Being faithful to God goes beyond circumstance. So if I'm, if I'm at work and my boss is a jerk, I have two options there, right? He's a jerk, I'm going to be a jerk back. Or I could be faithful to God and say, you know what? God says to pray for that jerk, and I'm going to pray for that jerk. And I'm going to be faithful to God, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to be seeking peace here, and I'm going to try to do my best as long as it is for me. Or in a relationship, right? That person is a jerk. They don't pick up their underwear. That could be your kids. That could be your husband. That could be your wife. I don't know. Women are dirty people. I don't know. I'm just kidding. My sisters were like, don't look at my wife. No, I'm talking about my sisters. Like my sisters growing up, dirty people, man. And I was like this clean person. Like I'm always picking up stuff. Now the opposite's true. But, um... They're very clean people. I'm like leaving tools everywhere and like, yeah, (laughs) they're not. But you know, it's like my, my past, right? My past. Oh, if only this, if only that. And it's like, okay, instead of nagging and demeaning someone, it's okay. How can, what can I do better in following God here? You know, there's, they're nagging me. Okay. How can I do better with that? Right? It's taking correction. This is the whole purpose of Proverbs. Take correction. Right? Be wiser. Be you know, don't be dumb. You know, and so what do I need to do in this situation? You know, and you see like like I've heard these stories of um a mom of the this child being killed by this guy, you know, manslaughter or whatever, and then um, the family saying, you know, we forgive you. How hard would that be? The circumstances there are horrific. But the faithfulness of that family is what mattered. And it's, that's the key here, is understanding Samson's story, is your circumstances have very little to do with the faithfulness that God has called you to. You could have the worst circumstances and be faithful to God. You could have the best circumstances and be faithful to God. How the the key difference there? Are you going to be faithful to God? That's it. It had nothing to do with your parents. It has nothing to do with your background. It has nothing to do with wealth, your social status, your anything. It all has to do with am I going to choose to follow God and be faithful or not? That's it. And then if we choose not to, and we get into disobedience, right? 
And then we get into the struggles. And this is the one thing I hate to hear. Why has God allowed this? Because you're not being faithful. You're not being obedient because God is always faithful. In fact, when you turn to Him, He was already working years before you even turned to Him. And He's working stuff out to where when you turn, He's going to work that out now for good. Like that's how faithful God is. That He will turn things around even when we have cursed Him and just yelled at Him and been unfaithful. He will turn things around. And all we have to say is, Lord, I repent. I come back. That stuff I did, it was wrong and I want to be faithful today. Like that's what Samson's life starts out with. To teach us circumstances don't matter as much as your choice to actually be faithful. And I love this in Philippians. This is Paul. So in Philippians 3, Paul kind of, he gives kind of his background. And when I read it, this is what I, I think of circumstances, right? He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. He's like, look at my circumstances. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, in other words, puff yourself up, think you're the best. Let me, let me show you how good I am. He says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as the zeal of persecuted the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, that's my circumstances. I have it all. I'm, the, I'm part of the people of God. I'm part of a great tribe. I did everything. I do everything right. You know, I think that at this point, he's like, the church was bad. You persecute those guys out of existence he's like you want to talk about being good having a good thing i'm the best that's what he's saying and then he says verse seven but whatever gain i had whatever good circumstance i counted it as loss for the sake of christ like that stuff doesn't matter none of that matters he says, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, okay, this is the faithfulness part. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. In other words, I want to be faithful to God in all circumstances. doesn't matter what happens. I want to be faithful. Even though I had the best, faithfulness to God is better. And that's huge, I think, because how many of us have gone through just horrific things, broken relationships, loss of finances, Loss of friendships, loss of people in our lives, and it just grinds us down. And it's like, why should I even continue? You know, over in Hawaii right now, right? Tons of people dying. Government lying as to the cause. And just a historical site burned to ash. And it's like, they're in a horrible circumstance right now. You have people in Nigeria, right? right? Nigeria. They are, don't even know if war is going to start breaking out any moment. Like they're talking about World War III in Africa. Like all this different stuff going on. People in Ukraine, 
horrible circumstances, right? Your city's completely rubble. And it's like, okay, Lord, if I was there, would I still be faithful? Because right now, my circumstances, it might be hard. It might be hard. You might be going through like horrible things right now. The call is the faithfulness. To say, you know what? Even in this, I will be faithful. And if you read through the Psalms, this is the Psalms. Lord, I know you're great. I'm in a bad situation. I'm still going to trust you. Like that's the difference. I'm still going to trust you. Now, if you'd like to fix this, I would really like it fixed. You know? That's why I tell God, and I, I joked about it like two weeks ago. I'm like, you know, I, I'll buy a lottery ticket when it's like 500 million or more. And I, and I go, God, if you want me to have that, I'll be faithful with it. And every time I think about it, I'm like, eh, you know, for, what would be the first thing I do? Eh, it's probably, you know, fix that dumb house, you know, or, you know, and I would, and my thing is always, what would I fix first? The bathrooms. <laughs> Amen. You know, and it's like 500 million or not, I still have to be faithful, right? And it can be hard, it can be difficult, but God, that's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to indwell us so that as we're going through that, we can keep turning to Him and say, okay, God, I'm at the end of my strength. Strengthen me. I mean, at the end of my patience, I need patience. I'm at the end of my peace, I need your peace. I'm at the end of... Um, whatever it is, I need that from you right now. And God says, be faithful. Trust me. Follow me. Keep going. I'm with you. And that's what Jesus says. Last thing Jesus says in Matthew is, and I will be with you till the end of the age. Like that's what God is. He is the God who is with us. He is truly the Emmanuel, God with us at all points. And all we are called to is faithfulness. So my challenge for you this week is this. To read Judges 13 and 1 Samuel 1. Okay, read them both. Read them completely together. Um, They're really interesting. And I'll tell you this right now. So one of the things I I share with you is that all the messages I share with you, I've been working on for usually a year, six months to a year. Okay? If you haven't heard that, that's what happens in my own personal, how I develop messages. I'm seeking God for a year and and this particular message, I had something completely different for you. Because what I was doing is I have all these notes, right? Notes for days. And then I started reading ahead. And I read Samuel's story. And I just thought as I'm reading, I'm like, "Oh my goodness. This is what needs to be." And that was this week. And so if this was for you, a call to be faithful is because God's calling you to be faithful. Holy Spirit's saying, look, whatever your circumstances is, be faithful. Trust me, I got this. All right? So I want to challenge you. So the first part is to read that. Second part is to, you know, we talk about taking inventory thing. Take an inventory of your circumstances, of what got you here. And understand that God was working there to get you here. And right now, the call is faithfulness. So whatever that was, whether it be family in the past, whether it be co-workers, whether it be 
people that just messed you over. Right now, you have the choice to be faithful or to not. None of that stuff matters. Your choice of faithfulness matters. And I'm not trying to downplay that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to downplay the hurt. But what I'm saying is, right now, your choice of faithfulness, that's what matters. Okay? All those other people, God's dealing with them. Right now, you have the choice. God, deal with me in faithfulness. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Samson, even with um, everything that we're going to see in his life. Lord, just I ask on behalf of my brothers and sisters here, whatever they're going through, whatever hurt they have, whatever pain is going in their lives, whether that be family relationships, whether that be co-workers or bosses, whether it be cars or finances or houses, Lord, move in them to be faithful. I don't know if they're going through medical things. I know so many people are. Lord, call them to faithfulness. Strengthen them to do that. Move by your Holy Spirit to give them the strength to be able to be faithful. And give them ways to do that. So that they would be known as faithful people to the Lord Jesus. And the other people around them that see that faithfulness, that they would glorify you because of it. So Lord, I just thank you for them. I thank you for being faithful to us to show us what it means to be faithful. So thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.